0: everyone welcome to the poetry space glad to see you here dick westheimer joshua aaron williams is going to be a featured component of this particular space on haiku i'm really excited to look at what is one of my absolute favorite forms i know i said that about sonnets also but you know i'm allowed to have two two favorites right i have two favorite children of my own so i'm allowed to uh to have the two favorites here so i'm inviting tim as a speaker and then i will go ahead and get to the other speakers here we have two and now tim i think you're able to speak which is a benefit to all of us here (laughs) doing good trying not to cough and i'm glad that this is not in person because i don't want to get anybody else sick
1: well sorry to hear you're under weather a little bit but uh the, the microphone mute button works I know from experience on the Rattlecast. I've been sick on many episodes. <laughs> um, I thought I would, since uh, we get gave you time to get everything set up, I thought I would tell how, what my introduction to haiku was. Um, so I moved to California uh, when I was 24 years old, and my only connection really to my entire one side of my family, because I was estranged from my dad, was my grandmother. And so for the first couple of years or so, I tried to call her like once a month just to see kind of how she was doing and, and update on things um, and you know, get some word on the family. And uh, eventually though, she got sort of hard of hearing and it became increasingly difficult to uh, talk to her on the phone. I mean, if you haven't noticed, I kind of mumble and talk fast. So it was hard for her to keep up and uh, have a good conversation. So we started writing letters. And once a month, she would write me a letter, like clockwork. Like it literally showed up the exact same day as the electric bill every month. It was like, there's the bill and there's grandma's letter. And so it would be like a three-page letter, but at the end, she would have a haiku every time. And um, I started writing her letter back, and I'd include a haiku, too. And she'd always been in this haiku group. Um, she did a whole bunch of stuff, my grandma. She was the, the head of the town historical society and saved this old cemetery from the Civil War that was being uh, trying to be bulldozed to make a parking lot. And she uh, did a whole bunch of stuff like that. She painted too, but she was in this haiku group, which I never thought about, but it was like once every Sunday they met at the at the church somewhere near her house and, and did haiku. And I knew that, but knew nothing about it. And so I always get these haiku at the end. So her letters were actually kind of like haibun. And uh, so here is uh, a couple, and unfortunately... I figured when she died, which was maybe a year or so after we started doing this, so I had maybe a dozen letters from her. I thought I'd find, or my aunts would find, um, books or journals full of her haiku. And so, and they looked through, I asked them to look for it, and they didn't. There's just no record of it. So I think she was just writing things down and then letting them go, because they disappeared, they didn't exist. So I have a few from her. um, And here, I'll show a couple examples. Uh, This is... uh, Here's one you like she would be telling me a story, and then she'd make a haiku effort, so she this is one uh, lost my other shoe, now even the right isn't left, so she'd do stuff like that in her letters and um there was one I really liked um and this one i I brought to an editorial meeting and asked if we could publish it in rattle um i like always, I don't tell people if I know the person, um I don't mention that I know them, um otherwise you know to keep it fair. And so I said, oh, this is a haiku, I liked it, and, and everyone else liked it too. So we ended up publishing my grammar, um, Margaret Green, in issue, I think it was issue 33, maybe, of Rattle. And this is a haiku she wrote. Snow-covered sundial, waiting to tell time again. Snow-covered sundial, waiting to tell time again. So really nice haiku there. And um, uh, I remember Deborah Koloji, who's the head of the Haiku haiku California, however they call it. Um, She asked me if I could find more of my grandma's haiku, and that's when I realized that that none exist um, after we published that. So I only have a handful of them. But that was my intro to haiku. And then we ended up doing a haiku issue with Rattle. So I met Richard Gilbert and and Deborah Kalaji and a whole bunch of other people. And we start publishing more and more haiku, including up until uh, Joshua Eric Williams, who won a Touchstone Award for one of the best haiku published this year. originally published in rattle so it's been a long journey into haiku for rattle and for for myself
0: i didn't know that story at all and i'm already thrilled we're doing this space because i thought that was fascinating your grandmother was a woman of so many talents and i loved her haiku that was great
1: yeah she was she actually had a, a day named after her in her small town for saving um she saved the cemetery and the salt box house she called it which was the oldest uh house in the county it was built in like 1780 or something and she moved it to make it make it the town historical society Raised the funds and all that stuff so she was a really cool lady there's a peggy green day in a uh, rondequoit new york if anyone wants to look it up i think it's like in april actually uh i can't remember the exact date like maybe april 16th or something like that is peggy green day but anyway but yeah she introduced me to haiku and um and, and through her letters and then uh but but you know you, there's something you fall in love with once you once you realize how great haiku are
0: yeah, definitely. And I guess I'll go ahead and give my very brief, almost haiku-ish own foray into haiku, which is not nearly as advanced level as you're at, Tim. But still, I think I should share the story. After, though, I see we have multiple special guests. So, Tim, who do you think we should go ahead and go to uh, first? Because I think people are more curious about that than my own story. <laughs>
1: Well, I think we should hear your story. But I mean, Joshua Eric Williams is here, who we just mentioned. Beery is listening. Hopefully, you can get her as a speaker. Um, and she's a great poet. She was on Rentalcast uh, around episode 100 or so. Um, she's the editor of um, Modern, or the Haiku, the hyben editor of Modern Haiku. Is that right? What is it, Burberry? You're here now. Can you speak? Yep,
2: um, I've been editor for Modern Haiku for the past uh, since 2012. Yeah, there you go. Well, thanks so much for
1: joining. This is your first Twitter space, I guess. It's great to sit around and chat poetry. Um, Well, well, since we're here to have you on, Mike, why don't you uh, explain how you got into haiku? Is there a a story for you, how you found it?
2: Um, I was living in Japan in the 90s, and haiku is very big there. I had always written poetry. And as part of my work, actually, as an attorney with a Japanese law firm, we were encouraged to take time to write haiku. And um, I also joined what's called a cultural center in Tokyo, Minatoku Ward, where they, they sort of mentored foreigners in writing haiku. And there were several newspapers there that um, published haiku in English, uh, the Japan Times, the Yomuri, And the Mainichi. So I started writing and helping. I was helped by uh, people in my law firm, other attorneys who they, you know, they're skilled, they write haiku from like birth, (laughs) you know, it's just part of their daily practice. Um, So then uh, I came back to the States in the end of 95, early 96, and joined um, a fledgling. Haiku group called Topath in the Washington D.C. area, which I've been a member of since that time, and got to know other poets and you know honed my craft. Met it, uh, started going to haiku conferences, joined Haiku Society of America, and the more I studied, the the and wrote and read other people's haiku, the more adept I got at doing my own haiku. So it was a long journey for me. I didn't submit for. a to American journals uh, for many years, you know. So I, I I wanted to study it in depth, and I hi- highly yes. recommend the practice of daily haiku.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. What would you say? Um, for me, I think how I define haiku is uh, is two worlds in one breath. I think that's the, the the most concise way to define it. But but how do you, how would you define it? And um, And and what is it that draws you to it?
2: Um, I I would say it's a a one-breath painting in words, and that gives the aha moment, you know, the epiphany, and centered around small things, the ordinary things. Um, I think some people write haiku, and they try to make it too big and too... um, uh, you know you, it's just, it's a it's a short form but it takes a lot of work to get get it right so um i guess i started off with what feeling am i trying to convey to the reader what emotional response do i want to evoke in the in the reader and and also i i i write so that people feel they're not alone in their what they're going through, so that's another motivating factor for me. I don't know if that's answered your question.
1: No, it definitely does. I mean, we just always come across this thing, which we have to mention all the time, where everybody thinks the haiku is just five, seven, five syllables, and so um, you know, so anything you arrange in that way. If you ask any uh, corporation with a haiku contest, they will just say any utterance um, that, that has five, seven, five as a structure can be sent to Mars, and so on. Right. So, right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so I think it's just important to clarify that that's not what haiku is actually about at all. No,
2: it's it's it that's the kind of a misrepresentation of Japanese haiku because they do do the 575 but they do it, you know, as one long um vertical, you know, and if you look at the scrolls of their um their their paintings that incorporate haiku and also in Japanese the 575 is about equal to 11 or 12 English syllable sounds. So I usually do, when I was starting out especially, I would aim for 353. Three. That helped me in my haiku journey. And now I, I, um, there's a lot of superfluous words. I call them filler words in 575 that detract from the um, emotional response and the impact of, of haiku in English modern English haiku. So, um, you know, there's a lot of little tips haiku poets share, so we'll have to do that one day, Tim.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, yeah, and I think every time I see a 575 haiku, it just feels too long. Like it just, not not just padded, but, but it's a little too long for the the size of the space of your brain, or something like. There's a there's a few, few too many digits. To
2: it make. is true, <laughs> and so. also there is a um, there's a society called the Yuki Techie Society that's based out of California. I think it's Southern California. That's um, they do run a five seven five contest every year, but and they give kigo words for. it. They give you, you know like a couple of seasonal words to choose. It has to be in your in, in the haiku. Those are extremely hard to write. I find to sound where you don't realize it's a five-seven-five, which is the point that everybody's kind of looking for. The judges are looking for in the, in that particular contest. So it's it's even harder to do those after you've been writing haiku for a long time. I find anyway to do it successfully, so that the reader doesn't know it's a five-seven-five. They kind of. If, if they're a syllable counter, they figure it out, but um, most people reading it wouldn't know. So that's kind of an interesting take. Yeah, that's funny. It's almost, uh, within the haiku community, it's almost um,
1: subversive to make a 575 haiku at this point, I think.
2: Yeah, there are, so there are um, haiku factions. <laughs> I call them the haiku the haiku <laughs> wars. I don't, I, when I see haibun submissions at Modern Haiku, I'll often see them, especially if they're from MFA students, but not necessarily, it could just be people new to the hyben form, and they'll have a very good title and very good prose, and then the haiku will be 575, and they'll all be not at all (laughs) conducive to a good hyben, so...
1: Yeah, I think we talked about this before, but when we get submissions to rattle as then, I always read the haiku, and then if that's bad, I just don't bother reading them. Right. Yeah, that, that's on, another so.
2: good tip. <laughs> yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, once you have, do you, I, I don't know if you have any haiku ready, but once you have a couple haiku ready, we'll swing back to you and share some. Okay. Way. Okay. Uh, and so okay. Do you want to talk about your uh, your experience with haiku, or uh, or maybe Josh Josh can join talk.
0: Yeah, I think that I feel kind of um, shy doing that after (laughs) Roberta Berry's amazing intro and talking about her time in Japan. Mine is a much more humble, much shorter journey, but I will share it because maybe it resonates with some of you. So I directly have someone to thank, two people actually to thank in this space right now for what became a love of mine. I mean, I'm just really super passionate about haiku. So it happened because, Tim, with Rattle you published Uh, This haiku by Joshua Eric Williams, which we were saying, just won a Touchstone Award. And I'm not going to say the haiku because that is a crazy thing to do when the poet is in the room with us. So we'll hear it in just a moment. But basically, seeing this haiku, first of all, I was immediately, I was still locked in the 575. I'm so embarrassed to stay in this room, but somebody has to. I was still locked in the 575. I didn't really know. You know, I just took what I was told in school and that's what a haiku is. And so at first I thought I couldn't count syllables. And then I thought, I don't care about syllables. Man, this poem is just resonating with me so much. And I took this poem and looked at it and realized, like, there is a whole world with haiku that I know nothing about right now. And so I'm really grateful uh, to Josh, first of all, for you to write it because it entered into a whole world for me. So I love it, Josh, if you're up for first uh, reading your award-winning poem, we can now say, and then talking about it, please.
3: Sure. It doesn't take very long to recite. <laughs> uh, shooting stars. I mean, silent after the shooting stars. Silent after the shooting stars.
0: Now, I've heard you talk about this, too, in terms of how you read it a little bit different sometimes. You know, there are so many ways in which you can read this haiku, and it's part of what makes it so beautiful.
3: Well, yeah, thank you. Um So, you know, when I was composing it, that's that's exactly what I was going for. Um, Every single word is very much crafted, and it was very much a a painstaking process. And so when people talk about haiku being something that is that just falls out of you, um, some do, but most don't. And I think that a really well-crafted haiku is is just as uh, complicated to make as a well-crafted, longer-length poem, Um, you know. And some people could accuse my uh, haiku here of being like a short lyric, Um, but those tend to be people who are really uneducated about the form. I mean, you can't really blame them because, I mean, if you take take a look at the Princeton Encyclopedia of Poetry and Poetics and you go to haikai and haiku, you get these sort of explanations that confirmed that 575 bias. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. People don't study it. And so, um, you know, that's just just how it is. Um, and what you find in the Haiku community are people who were drawn to the form and then studied it deeply um, and found mentors and read widely and and found that the form is much more than the uh, English translation of it or like uh the um uh R H Blythe's you know original misprision of the form into language, right? Um so yeah, do y'all want to talk want me to talk about how I was brought to haiku? Yeah,
0: that would be fascinating.
3: Okay. Um, And so like most people, I was first introduced to the form in elementary school, probably second or third grade. And that's where I learned the 575. And that that, that remained with me until, uh, you know, I was in college and I had a professor who would uh, post these uh, things on Facebook. She called them her um, Monday haiku. And then everyone would sort of like uh, chip in with their own haiku. Um, and then from there, I started just studying the form, started looking into, uh, stuff on, um, the frog pond website, HSA modern haiku. Then I started subscribing to the magazines and started reading them. Then started getting into the journals, uh, like juxtaposition and then reading through the haiku foundations, uh, immense, uh, you know, resources, uh, into the form and, uh, found that, you know, like most things, most forms they can be broken and that you can play with that form uh to create uh, you know, other other means of uh poetic expression, right? And uh being the kind of like formalist that I am, having studied like, you know, uh new formalism, a post-formalism, the new formalism, I mean all those things uh I began to experiment with the craft of creating my own version of the haiku, which is more about metrical feet. I play with the metrical foot within my haiku, um, a lot. And so, uh, you'll notice that that poem, if you, if you read it, it's a uh, iambic, you know, uh, and a lot of mine play with that notion and I'll reverse a foot sometimes to try to like, you know, reverse the stress in a, a metrical foot to create like a, um, uh, uh, a dramatic moment or a, or, or a shift. And um, I was doing a little bit of that with that poem as well, but that tends to go unnoticed, but it's felt regardless. And so I've sort of introduced that formal aspect into it, not the syllabic count or any of that. Uh, would fact, you
0: mind, yeah, would you mind reading it one more time? Because I think your point about it being an iambic and, you know, and talking about. So this is a poet's response poem, and what, what you wrote it in response to, too, so we can understand the significance further of iambic being used here.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it was written uh, during, uh, well, after the Uvalde shootings, and there was another shooting directly after that. We have so many, it's now hard to keep, you know, it's so hard to keep track of everything. But it was directly after that, and uh, and so what I wanted to do was to create a moment in which we talk and in which the, so, so, so Robert Spice, uh, Spice has a definition about haiku where it's an experience experiencing itself. And that stuck with me. Um, and that's how I define a haiku, a breath length poem in which an experience experiences itself. Um, this, this, I is, taken away and it's a moment and you were you're that moment and the moment itself exists and there's this interaction um between those two and they become one um that's the haiku moment for me um and so what i wanted to do was to demonstrate several different things which was like this silence that we have after Uh, a tragic event like that no one's speaking out no one's doing anything but i also wanted to demonstrate this sort of um the universe's silence to human uh actions you know um but i also wanted to combine to make the human into the natural because that's what we are anyway um in my particular philosophical outlook we're all just nature um and, and you know to me that you can take it as you will, as, uh, you know, God is nature or that nature is just what creates us and what we are. And so we are creation and creator in some sense. Um, and so I wanted to express that feeling as well. And so the only thing that can really express that is like I said, these, these sort of experiences. So you had the first part of the poem, uh, which it could easily be a modest ditch, right? It could, be, it could be read as one line, silent after the shooting stars. Um, but what I really wanted to do was to create three lines to give space, but also to sort of um, not exactly disrupt, but to jar the reader a little bit. And metrically, if you start off with silent after, that would be a headless iambic foot at the beginning so the stress falls on the first part of silent right uh then you have the second part of silent going into after uh which is then uh, your traditional I am right. Iambic foot. And I, I hate to do this because, uh, so many people don't, it, it starts confusing folks, but anyway, suffice it to say you have a headless foot and then you have, uh, an extra syllable at the end of the line. It creates on a metrical level, this sort of also chaotic disruption, um, that then falls into the shooting, which is a perfect I am followed by the I N G. But the, the I N G is the, um, unstressed foot followed by a stressed syllable stars. Um, and so you have this sort of like sonically it reaches, um, this sort of, um, peaceful moment, uh, by the end. It, it starts off with this, oddly enough, ironically in the first line, it's silent after, uh, which has been disturbed, uh, metrically, uh, then it follows and settles on the, the last, I am that creates this sort of peaceful moment. But of course that, that, that that creates this ironic tension, right? So it's the juxtaposition between those two things that drives the, the haiku to succeed there. Um, That's a lot to say (laughs) to, uh, to explain, you know, the writing process behind it. But, you know, also a lot of that's trial and error. And some of it has to do with luck and you write enough haiku, um, you sort of uh, find your way.
0: Yeah, I wanted
1: to say uh, it, it represents so well what haiku can do. Um, and, and the way that we have this sort of overlapping between symbolism and meaning in sort of different spaces and times. Um, you know, the most famous haiku ever is the, you know, the basho, um, old uh, ancient pond, frog jumps into the sound of water. And you have that ancient pond, which like has gone on stretching through history, and then you have the frog which is jumping in the moment like right now and both of those playing overlapping each other and so for this haiku you have um several different ways to read it which uh you know silent after the shooting stars so you have this you know the silence after the shooting like the, the traumatic event you were writing about and the stars their own inability to communicate and then you have um you could even read it as silent after the shooting stars as if it's just a moment where people are um experiencing shooting stars somewhere else and have no idea the shooting has happened. And, uh, and they're silent because of the awe of the stars. And then we have our own, you know, the silence of the, the media and the public to do anything about the shootings going on. And you have the, um, um, and just the, the indifference of the universe and sort of the, the sublime of our own presence in the face of that universe. So like all four of those things are going on at once just as all four of those things are going on throughout the world and through all these 7 billion human experiences um, at the same time, the shooting is happening somewhere in Uvalde or wherever it is, and we don't even know. So there's this like overlapping of all these things going on at once, just in the five words which is what allows haiku to sort of pull meaning out of the chaos of human experience through metaphor in a really concise, tight way. It's like the sort of fundamental unit of poetry, I think. And I think your, your poem shows that really clearly.
3: Absolutely, and thank you. Um, and what I was really going for is like, so the the poem itself becomes an experience, right? And then depending on how you stress a word, where you choose to break the poem, to cut the poem, it creates another perception of said experience, event. And so that's what I was trying to go for. It was like really trying to compress like several poems into one. And that was my, my beginning thought on that. It's like, how can I squeeze different perceptions on this topic into one thing? And it, it just worked out.
1: Yeah. For me, I, I mean, a lot of times I read poems and, and I, you know, for, especially for poets respond, it's very clear. I pick the one that gives me an emotional reaction and it's very rare for a poem to do it, but I get a little teary with this one with that, that sense of the indifference of the universe or like the 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 infinite, you know, our our finite juxtaposed, juxtaposed against the infinite of the universe. There's something there in, in our sort of powerlessness to, to enact change, you know, all that ties in in a very emotional way that, that's kind of um, unusual for me in haiku. It's hard to get a haiku to, to spark that, but this one does.
0: I think also it, it works so well, Josh, on an auditory level with the alliteration. So silent after the shooting stars with the S sound, it's like, it's just slowly escaping, you know, into the distance. And that's another aspect that I, I just love about it. And I truly, I, I don't say this, and I, 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 I feel almost like I shouldn't say this about a poem, but I truly believe this is a perfect poem. And I didn't think I could come away from this loving this poem even more. <laughs> apparently, apparently, even though I've looked at this poem, you know, for so long and read it, you know, hundreds of times, apparently I still wasn't getting quite all the craft that goes into it. So really well done. I just wanted to read to what, one of the panelists said uh, about this poem that picked it for the Touchstone Awards, it's not attributed to an individual person, but I thought... Well, I think I
1: was... should say, Katie, that uh, one of the panelists is here. I'm not sure whose comment it was, but Roberta was actually one of the panelists.
0: Well, maybe Roberta then would like to talk about this poem. I think we well, might
2: well qualify Actually, um, I was explaining to Tim in a message exchange that um, we started off um, with I think 1,300 haiku or something. We read everything blind, and um, I believe there were five uh, haiku that won Touchstones this year. And it's a lot of work for this panel too. We wind up with a short, a long list, and then a short list, and then the 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 ones the actual award winners. And I encourage everybody who's listening to look at our. Um, um web page where on the haiku foundation site there is a special link for um joshua's winning poem and it, it contains our, our commentary and it's the commentary is um it's not just by one person on the panel it's it's everybody had something to say about the winning poems so um uh and you know this one, it was. There was never a doubt in my mind, even though it was blind. It was you know it's blind. I not I didn't know who any of the poets were for any of the poems um, uh, until after uh, the whole process was over. And um, you know this one always stood out to me personally.
1: Um, I wanted to ask you about about yeah you know, the process, Roberta, because I do you know the Rattle Poetry Prize. And it's always, it sort of usually works the same way. Sometimes there's a very clear one winner, but usually there's like a very clear, there's always, I should say, a very clear like top tier. So we always know like the 20 poems or so that like really stood out. And then between those 20 is the, the argument. Uh, is it like that too? Are there like a certain, is there a yeah, lot of disagreement yeah, what, among the What panel actually is it,
2: happens yeah. is um, um, the person, I'm just using this as a hypothetical because I don't want to go into too much detail about the process. But, um, you know, if you you can write, kind of exchange with the other panel members why you think this poem is deserving of moving up to the next level. And um, so there's back and forth among the panel members that way. I think it's that's pretty much... Um, you know, I've been on a lot of, I've judged a lot of um, haiku contests and a couple of haiku book contests and some other kind of poetry contests. And when you judge with other judges, that's usually what happens as far as I, I at least that's been my experience, you know, but often there will be um, already, as you're getting to that point where the numbers are being cut these certain poems these certain haiku you know they 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 they're staying at the other two levels the long list then to the short list and then it's actually the short list somebody once told me making the short list is like winning a touchstone award well having made the short list myself before i was on any of these titles i can tell you it's not the same thing and uh um you know so i really want to congratulate um Joshua and I know he's he's put some comments of his own um, on on the um, that that page on the Haiku Foundation site about um, some you know some some poets some other poets have commented on the poem. I can tell you when I read the poem, each time I read it, I read it as silent after the shooting stars. I, I never changed in my my reading. You know, I know that other people had different experiences. But to me, um, I immediately got it and you know got all the references and everything. and I just thought, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate because it's the the gun issue is so rampant and so huge that it's you couldn't where where else can you go except you know to to look up in the sky and focus on? something beautiful
1: you know so uh, oh, I think we should yeah. uh, talk about your haiku a little bit and share some of yours and maybe a, a couple favorites uh of someone else's maybe that, that you like a lot and just what you look for May in haiku. Of- like, like what is it that makes a haiku work
2: well I did I did want to read from um one of my five seven fives that's in my book uh beyond war necklace that was I think it was from uh that contest, you know, I was telling you about, but I'm not, I can't 100% remember, but it's three lines, Halloween, twilight, again this year my son waits alone by the door. So I should add that the uh, Unworn Necklace is mostly about the disintegration of my first marriage and the, the, my children and their reactions to same. Um, uh, One that people going through breakups seem to uh, talk about a lot is um, also I'm just going to read a couple from The the Unworn Necklace maybe three so the second one. Talking divorce, he pours his coffee then mine. So if you're a Stickler for the distinction between haiku and senru, which I am not. Um, That is what a lot of people would call a senru because it does not contain any season word. And it just is about a human, um, you know, human emotion. And uh, that's the last one I'll read uh, is not hearing it till the cat stirs bird song. So those are three of mine. And I've written a bunch of haiku since then. I have another collection coming out fairly soon with Snapshot Press who published uh, The Unworn Necklace, which actually if you enter the Snapshot Press haiku manuscript contest and you win, they publish your book. So I won in 2007 for The Unworn Necklace and I won a couple years ago for Carousel, which is supposed to be published this year, and Carousel is, takes its title from a poem haiku that was published in in Rattle, actually. But um, since I'm, I'm now reading other people's poems, we have to wait for that one. Um, yeah. Well, and- I just want to say I love I love the
1: unworn necklace, especially just because it, it does such a great job of telling a story. There's a whole plot, and it feels so rich and layered, and like from like it like it. It feels, if you read it, even though you can read it in about 20 minutes, because it's haiku, it feels like you just, you know, read some great American novel or something, and that's (laughs) the amazing thing about it, which I've never had that experience with any other haiku
4: collection.
2: Yeah, thanks, that's what that's what um, similar comment by um, Ron Silliman, who uh, judged the Poetry Society of America, Poetry Society of America Book Award, uh, I think it was and for a book published in 2007 and he gave it a finalist award which was a big a big leap forward for haiku poets um, that, that was the first so that really helped um, sort of bring haiku into the mainstream But um, another uh, book Wishbone Moon is a book I did with two other editors in uh, 20. 18 and it's all the haiku by women. Um, there had been a long history, sort of a misogynistic history. Um, I know your recordings, Tim, so I'm going don't get any people coming after me. I have enough of those already. The, um in the haiku wars, but a long history of um. Jane like Jane Reichel. I don't know whether it was the 80s or 90s. Had tried to publish uh, an anthology of haiku by women poets and. She was ruthlessly, I thought, put down by the very some very famous male haiku poets who just um, uh, said there was no reason for this, but it's not, you know, that women are new to the form, which wasn't true, and all these other reasons. And uh, I wasn't on the haiku scene at that point, but Jane wound up doing, a, I think, an e-version on her own website. And she went into all the history of why it would never found a publisher. So then um, Jakar Press came to me and asked me if I would edit an anthology. And I brought on two other, two other editors. So I'll just read um, uh, one or two poems from that. This one's uh, um, Amanda Bell, who's an Irish poet, who also, also writes haiku. Deathbed, her hands reaching across the years. And then we have um, Dorota Pera from Poland. Shallow river, the heron finds its stillness.
1: Yeah, those are great haiku it, yeah and the three you read too from from the book uh, i recommend everybody pick up a copy of uh all your books i mean it's just wonderful stuff um katie what do you want to do what do you want to go next
0: well first i noticed that joshua eric williams had his hand up and so i was curious what he wanted to say in response to roberto berry's beautiful reading which i feel so lucky to just be in this room right now <laughs>
3: Oh, I just wanted to say thank you to Robert, Roberta Berry. Like, uh, oh my God, huge influence, uh, great haiku master, uh, and so yeah, that's all I wanted to do is to express, express my gratitude, and especially like.
2: You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. You can, <laughs> Julie, appreciated. Uh, thank you, uh, Joshua, for mentioning that. And then.
0: Well, that's great. We've express, expressed gratitude. We can't express enough for her thankfulness, but so we expressed a little bit, a haiku's worth. But I was curious for everybody in this room that knows a lot more about this subject to me, how much is the distinction between a haiku and a senryu just like kind of evaporating in the modern age? Like where is it still held distinct for anybody that has an opinion on that?
1: Well, what I see most often is that just... Uh... You know, we say, like, I have a, there's a sequence uh, of haiku in the summer issue that I'm just typesetting for battle right now. It's up on my screen, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's uh, by uh, Kelly Sargent. And it just says haiku and senru, and it doesn't distinguish which one's which. And I think that's how most of the the journals do it. Because in English, it's so slippery between the two, because you don't have the kigo. There's not that really strong tie to the season anyway. And then, you know, humanity slips into haiku so often too. And so that it's, it seems much more slippery than uh, it's almost a distinction not worth making, in my opinion. And I think Roberta's on the same page. <laughs> and Mark's got to hand up. Mark yeah. didn't talk to you yet. Yeah.
2: I, I totally agree with that, um, Tim. Yep doesn't doesn't, and people want to argue with me and they send me emails about it and they want me to take a position on it and I just I don't really make a distinction between the two at all
1: yeah I mean if a poem you know speaks to to existence and in that way of like the the slippery nature of our experience it's all good whether it's nature or not and the thing in in the Japanese is that there's this long tradition where every word has some kind of association with a season that we just don't have in English. And so it's almost, it's almost pointless. And, you know, and you see a lot of American haiku or English language haiku saying like, you know, spring moon or something and, and tying it that tightly to the season because there's so few things that are directly tied. You know what I mean? So it's like, there, it's, it's part of a long tradition that we're not actually part of. And I, I think it's fine for us to let it go and, and see English language haiku as something inspired by traditional Japanese haiku but a little different too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And Mark Donowski has published uh, or curated, I should say, a bunch of poems, a bunch of haiku with one art. So I'd be curious his thoughts on this topic, too.
4: Hey, thank you for having me. This is an incredible conversation. And thanks to Roberta and Joshua. Uh, really insightful and uh, not really possible for me to appropriately follow Um I will say I'm reluctant to say too, too much, um, because I definitely do have, uh, some misconceptions, uh, as we pointed out, many do, um, I certainly was under the impression that Senrayu required some level of humor, um, which appears to not necessarily be the case, uh, even on like a quick Google search, (laughs) um, I think people were talking a little bit about just how they got into haiku in the first place. And I know that this is probably a way that people used to back in the day. But I wonder uh, how much the influence of Kerouac's blues and haikus, uh, which is him sort of reading an album uh, accompanied by jazz saxophone. Um, that's, that's definitely my intro as I listened to that uh, quite a bit in high school. Um, so I was obviously a very cool kid. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, for a long time I've gone back and forth on just my, my personal feelings about, uh, sort of appropriation in a way, American appropriation of Japanese forms and other sort of foreign forms, uh, like Siho and, uh, you know, the, the Kerouac stuff uh, gets called American Pops at times, and the distinction there also seems a little vague. Um, you know, it's, often we have this, what is a misimpression of the requirement of three lines when uh, you'll see plenty of one-line or two-line haiku. Um, here's sort of like just another aside, as I'm sort of wondering if, A general question if people have thoughts on uh, good spaces where they create haiku Uh, I always felt certain liminal spaces were where they would kind of come into play Um, I used to try to write them a lot when I was at the laundromat (laughs) so just putting that out there Um, and then just a few final thoughts uh, and curious to responses on just the deal with haiku in, uh, in English, you know, minus, uh, you know, the standard um, CO or, you know, some sort of nature reference, which, uh, yeah, definitely from my limited knowledge, uh, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense since we don't use characters and, you know, we don't have stacked language and we're not, there's not these subtleties that we can contain with the English language. Um, obviously, some sort of cutting word remains key. There seems to be, you know, an essential leap required in a haiku, which isn't necessarily done with a word. Um, I would say often a change in direction that somehow makes sense, uh, a kind of epiphany, and really that haiku really thrives on these epithetic moments.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, a lot to say about that. For me, I write haiku... Uh... I write one, at least one a week for the Rattlecast. And I almost always end up doing it in the shower. So I read an article. Uh, and then like the night before the uh, the morning of the show, I'm just sort of thinking about the science article I want to uh, write a haiku based on. And then uh, in the shower, I think about it because I got nothing else to do while I'm, you know washing the beard, keeping the dandruff off. So um, that's what I usually do. Another thing I wanted to say, too, um, which touches on a little bit of what you say, Mark, is that the haiku community is um, just so wonderful, I found. Um, you know, despite some infighting that Roberta talked about a little bit, um, and, you know, and there are some sexism and things like that going on. There, it's such a great welcoming community compared to sort of the traditional um, the traditional poetry world. I think there's a lot less, there's a lot more of a sense of, like, everybody together enjoying this thing that we all appreciate, as opposed to everybody competing for a... Um, a finite piece of the pie. Um, And so I really find when I did the haiku issue, it very refreshing, just the way that that haiku poets encounter haiku. And it's interesting too for this space because I felt the same exact thing with uh, the NFT poetry group. Uh, You know, the people in NFTs are just really interested and curious about pushing the boundaries of what poetry can be and do with new technology and sort of applauding each other for it. And uh, it's very similar to the, uh, to the way the haiku, uh, the haiku world works. I think there's just a great sort of positivity involved that doesn't exist uh, elsewhere in my experience within the poetry world. So I'd add, add, add that too.
0: Yeah, I think too, part of my reason that I'm so drawn and interested in haiku is the sense of gratitude. I feel like when I'm trying to write haiku, I'm basically taking a moment to be grateful and find a connection in the world. Uh, which is also part of what I love about being part of the NFT poetry community as well. And let's see, Dick Westheimer has hand up, and I think it's an appropriate time to hear from him because A, I don't think we have, and B, he's not only a traditional poet, but also someone who has minted NFT haiga as well.
5: Um. Hi, I'm just I'm sort of transfixed with the conversation among the folks who have more experience of this, and I have a question for them. Um, and that is, I've heard some haiku folks sort of rail a bit against having ambiguous breaks in the haiku. I mean, one of the things that I loved about Joshua's haiku is that it is ambiguous that you could break it after the first line or the second line. And um, may, maybe Roberta and Tim, uh, so you, you've you offered your opinion, Joshua, with, with with that one. Maybe Roberta and Tim can talk further about how uh, you feel about that.
2: I can answer that for myself. This is Roberta. Um, I, I like haiku that, uh, I like to write haiku where the second line is the pivot line, meaning it can be read either with the first line or with the, third line and it will have multiple meanings so I like my haiku to be open to many interpretations and also for the reader's own experience to become part of the haiku so um, if somebody uh, people often ask me what is the meaning of the title poem of the unworked necklace and actually send me emails as to what they think it, it is which is all day long, I feel its weight—the unworn necklace that doesn't have a pivot line. That's just an example of a poem that, to me, isn't super obvious, but it's not—it's not impossible to figure out either. So, I, I guess I would say that um, I think that it's—it is important to have an air of mystery to a haiku, to uh, have it not be completely obvious and to also be open to different interpretations. And that, you know, for me, it's important that the reader or the listener bring part of themselves into my haiku to complete the haiku. Um,
5: I'm delighted to hear that because I know in, you know, in my very limited practice, and I think haiku writing is much or more than poetry is is, uh, a practice, um when I find those haikus unfold, it's the plural, I don't know what the plural of haiku is. It's haiku. It's haiku. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I could, I could kind of like cring- fish.
2: <laughs> I, I could feel you cringing back there as I said that. Um, so many um, men will be happy to hear that because they, they would agree with you, but I'm actually uh, very nice. Um, no, yeah, you know, I, oh, I know. I was just,
5: I was just thinking, oh my goodness, haiku sounds so awkward. Um, that I really, w- when a haiku um, um, emerges from my writing that has that ambiguous ambiguity, in it it just feels like it feels like uh, that breath. Like you know, reading my own haiku, I have that that sense of of um, of wonder. And um, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that there are many other folks or at least you, Roberta, feel that that's a um, um, important way to write them.
1: Yeah, I think we're um, not well representing the other side because I agree completely with Roberta. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the haiku I do on the rattlecast never have punctuation pretty much. Um, I talked to Mike Dylan Welch on that uh, that rattlecast a while ago, and he explain the differences between how he feels a dash versus a colon versus an ellipsis, um, I'll do in a haiku, but I like that ambiguity and I like the pivot line and I like it being open to interpretation. I like, think there's so much power in that. So pretty much every, you know, most of the haiku I write, I do not use punctuation either.
0: Meanwhile, I'm obsessed with M dashes and
5: <laughs> much, like,
0: <laughs> all of my haiku have to like involve in M dash. I think though, you know, the way I look at it from my much, much more new opinion, I guess, of this and the unverse, is just that, like, I feel that English haiku tend to use punctuation as, as the key area, as, as the cut words, um, which we don't have, you know, the same cut words, of course, in English and so we kind of rely on punctuation and i loved um, michael dillon welch's uh, dis- depiction of the different types of punctuation in that discussion that was in the Rattlecast that you did with him tim
1: yeah it was i hadn't even really thought about it i've you know read haiku for a long time and and never really i think the distinction between like an ellipsis versus a dash is something you feel but but to have it explained out like that was interesting i think we only have a few minutes left i think we should go do like have more haiku um, so whoever hasn't shared, maybe we should share some haiku. What do you think about that? Because we, yeah, we've only, like, shared like five haiku in this yeah, whole space.
0: Definitely. Everybody that's a speaker, because I know there are a ton of requests today, which we are trying trying to field, but everybody who's a speaker that tweeted to me specifically, I know Mark Danowski, you have curated so many, and I would love for you who took the time to share a bunch with me today too. If you want to read you know, a few haiku to start, that would be great.
4: Oh, thanks, Katie. Yeah, um, here's a couple that were in uh, one art. And uh, I'll do the the haiku move where you read them twice. So this is by Robert Lowe's Frozen Ground, Pigeons Nodding Yes to Everything. Frozen Ground, Pigeons Nodding Yes to Everything. And here's one by Brocka K. Sharp. Concentrated Flight, Carrying the Bowl of Wind, These Birds in Chill Cold. Concentrated Flight, Carrying the Bowl of Wind, These Birds in Chill Cold. This is by Julia Carolyn Knowlton. Paris Catacombs, Skulls Arranged in Big Heart Shapes, Love Even in Death. Paris catacombs skulls arranged in big heart shapes love even in death and uh, finally there's a uh, I'll read one by Jessica Whipple days and days in bed I didn't notice that I'm wearing a necklace days and days in bed I didn't notice that I'm wearing a necklace that's that's for uh, Roberta I suppose another necklace poem
2: there's lots of those around.
0: <laughs> That's great. All right, Dick Westheimer, you have your hand up, please go ahead.
5: Um, I just wanted to share a couple haiku. Um, the first one is the death of a queen in autumn leaves fall. The death of a queen in autumn leaves fall. And the other one is, alone at night, the barred owl screeches. Alone at night, the barred owl screeches.
0: And those are wonderful. Thanks for sharing those. And that one is also a Haiga NFT. I have to say NFT at least 20 times in an episode or else I get outed from the space, I think, is something <laughs> that happens. So a doodle slice. Would you like to share a haiku? Yeah, I'd love to
3: share a couple. Uh, this one was uh, written for a Tulip. Flame engulfs petal, kiss variegates kisses, love denying time. And this was just sort of uh, a broader one. Majestic mountain, blindsided by a glacier, melted and remade.
0: That's great. And then, Keobarco, we haven't heard from you either, so yet the space. And I'm going to totally put you on the spot to read a specific haiku without having given you notice. So we'll see how this goes. I wonder if you'll know which one I want you to read without me even saying. Maybe we can practice telepathy on um, this space.
6: Wait, do you, I I I don't have it memorized, and I couldn't find it. But I wrote one recently, which Tim helped me edit. Which I then I liked it to begin with, and then I totally fell in love with it. Do you know the one that I mean, Katie or Tim?
0: We practice yeah, telepathy. The dolphin
6: one. Yeah, yeah the yeah. dolphin <laughs>
0: one. I'm I, I'm furiously scrolling now on Twitter on <laughs> my computer to find the dolphin one. It's so good. We like, have to
6: find I, it. I think I took it down, but let me think. All right, I'm going to try. It's probably all wrong, but I'll give it a go. Also, okay. I do. I do have to say, Katie and everybody, to be part of a group that talks talks about headless feet. There's something so wonderful about that. It's so poetically beautiful. So thank you for that, Josh. But but anyway, um, I'm going to try. We'll see what I can do. Dancing, conscious and subconscious. Dolphins. I'll do it again. Dancing. Subconscious. I mean, conscious and subconscious. Dolphins.
0: Thank you for allowing me to put you on the spot to that massive degree. Only to friend could I do that too. And then know that they're not going to be mad at me after this phase. But so that, was, that was a great haiku too. And I'm really... I love this discussion so much, and I've taken away so many things from it. And I already like—I'm going to go write a billion more haiku. So I blame you all.
1: <laughs> Maybe i will uh, i share a few of my favorite. Go to. Okay. I I, I so,
2: just uh, want I just oh. wanted to um quickly, this is Roberta again. I just wanted to um, for our co-host here, there's a um. There's a haiku that won a Museum of Haiku Literature Award back in 2012 by Aubrey Cox, and it's um, "Mating Dragonflies," followed by um, an m dash. So, "Mating Dragonflies," my overuse of dashes.
1: <laughs> that's great. I love that.
2: And uh, that, you know, is that's for all those poets. I'm, I'm one of them myself that just keep writing um, haiku, the first line usually with an M-dash. And finally, i just like to read the carousel, uh, the carousel poem, that's uh, the title poem for my next collection that was published in Rattle 51, uh, Tribute to Feminist Poets. Carousel, moving through my childhood. And that is a one-liner carousel moving through my childhood. Thank you. Yeah, I
1: do love that one. Thanks for sharing that, Roberta. Yeah. Um, so how about I move through a couple of haiku really quick, just so we get a good number of haiku in this show. So uh, one one poet that I found that I love is uh, Deborah A. Bennett, who's, um, she's probably listening. She couldn't, she's trying to join us, but I don't know if she could figure it out. But... Um, she submitted a whole bunch, and it's rare for me to have a whole string of haiku where I like all the haiku. So a lot of times people will send like 20, you know, and you kind of pick and choose the ones you like, but I loved all the ones Deborah Bennett sent, and then it turns out she's just great. So follow her on Twitter. I think it's Deborah A. Bennett Poet or something like that. Uh, but in this world of pain, even half a rainbow, even one cherry blossom. I always loved that. It was a great spring haiku, the great hopefulness of that. Um Richard Wright is another hopeful kind of, I love this one, just enough of rain to bring the smell of silk from umbrellas. My favorite Basho is uh, summer grasses, all that remains of the warrior's dreams. Um, One of my favorite uh, haiku poets is John Stevenson. I always love, love his experimental sort of wordplay. On top of everything, rain. And then uh, Pretty Sure My Red Is Your Red, which is what I think about all the time, um, the difference in experience between all of us. Um, Daylight as the exception it is. There's some Monaco by John Stevenson. And then uh, I'll do a couple of my own too. Um, Summer night, all of the sheets in town entangled. Pot fly lost in the blue of the sky these saturdays harvest moon never quite feeling full anyway i think that's pretty good katie do you want Oh wait i should send do one more this is my grandma who started the show so we'll do uh a last grandma hike i'm just flipping through these grandma's kitchen everything she knows by heart there you go take it off to you katie
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so glad that you chose to read your own because otherwise I was going to be telling you you had to. So thanks for going ahead and doing that without having to be prompted. So I guess I, I have the tradition of reading a closing poem. And so I wrote a few haiku that are, are poetica type haiku, I guess you could say. So I'll just read... Uh, those few right now to close out the space and hopefully you find them at least mildly amusing and (laughs) encouraging after hearing some brilliant haiku which these are not but hopefully they're at least a good way to close out the space so lines of curigi time for a haircut from the garage grab the decorations box of kigo, and then lastly struck down 575 Mora Syllables Stampede. So I think that we have closed out some incorrect information about haiku, and I really can't thank you guys enough for joining us. Roberta Berry, it was just really amazing to get to hear you read and, and hear your thoughts about things. Joshua, gotcha, Eric Williams, to hear you read again one of my favorite poems of all time. Dick Westheimer, thank you for sharing, and Mark Donofsky, some of the great haiku that you've curated as well, and of course, to my co-host Timothy Green for curating that great haiku that changed my whole direction in poetry as well as being such an amazing poet yourself.
1: Oh well, you're welcome Katie glad to glad to turn you on to haiku and I gotta say I love that haircut one the Kurigi is a haircut that is really cool.
0: Thanks that was born of needing to trim my daughter's bangs a few days ago so we <laughs> thank her for that so thank you guys so much for coming today I really enjoyed it and I've learned so much I can't wait to go write a billion haiku with you all in mind. Hope you all and have what a great have
1: we day. got uh wait 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 ah! we got next week you always forget <laughs> I always forget
0: it's like the worst Oh next week we are going to be looking at plating poems which is an amazing analogy that you came up with despite the fact that I was the one who went to culinary school
1: <laughs> Yeah well it was only because you went to culinary school that I thought of it <laughs> but it was uh, I think uh, you made me dinner once and uh, you were like oh I just have to plate it and then I uh, oh. and I realized that we kind of plate our poems too So when we're talking about the way poems appear um, on the page, or um, you know, and, and how that uh, the presentation of that affects your reading of it, and we'll look at different ways of presenting poems, plating poems, if you would. I think that's a good idea.
0: Yeah, I I am going to run so far with this analogy that you are going to regret ever having made it. I think that's my plan for the next phase. I also just wanted to say really quickly, thank you to everybody who sent me their haiku. And I'm sorry that we weren't able to get to you. We had so much content and so many great things to look at that we didn't manage to get to everybody. But I'm sure we'll do another haiku space in the future. And meanwhile, I read all of your haiku and I love them and thank you for sharing them with me. So I hope everybody has a great rest of your day.
1: Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later.